Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And this week, we are joined by two very special guests. We have Tim Saucer with us. Hi, I'm Tim. And we have Liz Decker. Hi, I'm Liz. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, So we have corralled you into coming on this podcast to talk about running games for kids. Um, So this is something that I think, let's see, we all we all have kids here. I guess I have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. Let's see, I know, Liz, that you you work with some children mm-hmm. and run like an actual RPG club for them as well. Yeah, yeah. Tim, you've got a couple kids and you've got a couple kids. This is something that is near and dear to all of our hearts is like, yeah, how do we how do we make our kids and the kids in our lives sort of be involved in this hobby that we love so much? <laughs> so um, yeah, we thought that this would be a good, good opportunity to sit down and just sort of have like a little bit of a discussion about like how that's worked for us in the past and like, yeah, just some tips and tricks and strategies and all that sort of stuff. As I mentioned, so I have a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. So the two-year-old obviously not super interested in gaming right now. The seven-year-old, however, has just fallen hard for for Pokemon. And so her eyes are starting to open up towards like this wide world of like, oh, there's like these games that I can play and you know, I can I can pretend in them and that sort of stuff. And we actually just had a conversation yesterday about like Dungeons and Dragons um, too. She was just like mentioning like there was a, a Teen Titans Go episode that she had seen where they were playing Dungeons and Dragons. She was like, oh, like there's that game that they play in that uh, in that show. I was like, yeah, like daddy plays that game. We could play sometime if you wanted to. <laughs> so it was a, a cool moment for me. But all right, so I'm gonna, I'll stop rambling here, but I'm gonna kick it over to you, Andy. Why don't you talk about like, yeah, your kids and what your experience is with running games for kids. I have two kids. I have an 11 year old and I have a 15 year old and gaming in different forms has been a thing I've done with them since they were quite young. My gaming with kids history is playing with my adult, my group of adult gaming friends. Uh, At some point they started having kids like before I did. And so at some point, some of their older kids started to join our games. And Mm -hmm. I quickly realized that, you know, a, a kid at the table is a wonderful additional presence at the table that also changes a little bit the way that you want to run games. And then as my kids got old enough to start grasping games, I found that we had a lot of board games and other games with cool pieces and cool tiles and boards and stuff that I found it was pretty easy to add to the experience of that game some sort of role-playing element to make the game better. Because a lot of these games for kids are not not very interesting, not very exciting <laughs> even for an adult to play. So adding that element of like giving the kid a little bit of additional choice about what they're doing, introducing a little bit more of, you know, some dice rolling or something tactile like that added a lot to that. And at least with my 15 year old, that has evolved into a point where my 15 year old is played in a lot of games that I've run. They're in a long running game with a bunch of their peers. Uh, And so that's been um, pretty rewarding to see. So that's my, that's my kind of gaming with kids in a nutshell. Uh, Let me turn it over to, let's start with Liz. Liz, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and what your um, experiences and, and running games with and for kids? Yeah. So I actually didn't start playing D&D till it was 2018, I think, like the end of 2018. And then I started running for kids in 2019. Um, wow. I wow. came across the, yeah, I was a baby DM. <laughs> I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing. I, was, I had a really great group, group of kids who uh, were okay with none of us really knowing what we were doing. But yeah, so I started with RPG Club, which had already been in progress uh, in 2019, and I've been been with it since then. It's really been an interesting journey because I play with a group of friends outside of school, and then I play with t- high school age players at with RPG Club, and it's a really interesting 
way to see the game because there are some students who come into club and they could pretty much know all the source books cover to cover inside out backwards and forwards and there are some mm-hmm. students who have never rolled a d20 before and so you're uh, kind of trying to balance all these different experience levels but mm. one thing that is consistent i've seen with all teenage players is just they all really just want to be playing and they want to be exploring characters and they want to be having adventures and being awesome and so there's this energy with rpg club that is really really special which i see sometimes playing with with my adult friends but with rpg club in particular it's a really special energy that is really fun to play with and really fun to kind of lead and you know empower teenagers to be dms but then also empower teenagers to feel confident being different kinds of characters that's fantastic tim can you tell us a little bit about your history of gaming with kids uh yeah i think about four years ago i realized i wanted to get back into playing role-playing games um and mostly i wanted to share the experience with my children so i started up a uh, DD group of kids from my neighborhood so i had five kids from my neighborhood basically come over to my house about once a week or so, go into the basement and and I would uh, I would run Dungeons and Dragons for them. Campaign ran for a little over a year. We wrapped that one up, uh, started another one, had a total party kill. So I started another <laughs> one, <laughs> like on session two. So we started another one and then that one uh, went for a while. But the other the other thing I've done is I have a summer camp. Well, I used to have a summer camp. This is my mm-hmm. first year not doing it in eight years. And I started a, a RPG session there. And one year I did a one page RPG that I wrote that was like themed around the camp. You know, it's like all the NPCs were their actual counselors like that <laughs> were there. So that was a lot of fun for them. And then last year uh, we had a, a space theme. So we did death in space or I'm sorry, we did lasers and feelings that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking I did death in space with my kids is a game that we ran New Year's Eve waiting for the ball to drop. <laughs> so I still occasionally run some uh, some games for my kids. But uh, the, the, the other time I, I run for teenagers now is when my work group does D&D about once a month. A bunch of us do bring our, our teenagers there. So mm-hmm. we usually have them. So it's a mixture of adults and teenagers at that sessions. That's wonderful. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to toss out a question or two just that we can kind of bounce around as a group here. I don't know, maybe this is a, a slightly awkward storytelling time, but I'm wondering if you guys could share a mistake or a misstep that you... Uh, did uh, while gaming with kids that taught you something about dance. And just to get us started, so it's maybe slightly less awkward, I'll share my big uh, mistake. I will never forget the evening I made a kid uh, break down in tears at the game (laughs) because it was my first lesson that this kid is here to get something out of the game that is a little bit different than everybody else at the table. We were just playing regular old D&D. It wasn't anything super intense, but basically he missed like four rolls in a row. So you know how in D&D you can kind of get into that trap of like you wait 10 mm-hmm. minutes and then you roll your one die and then you miss mm-hmm. and then you have to wait 10 minutes again. Mm-hmm. That's what was happening. And that's not fun, but um, you know the adult players at the table are usually able to laugh it off or kind of you can start kind of cracking jokes at your own bad roles. But in this case, it was a, you know, a young, young teenage age kid and they weren't interested in kind of laughing and being lighthearted about their failure. They were experiencing that as like the least fun 25 minutes of their life. So mm-hmm. that was actually the first time that was when, you know, my adult friends were starting to bring their kids to the game table. And that was made me what made me first realize I need to be a little more thoughtful going forward about how I just how I run games and how I pay attention to people's experience at the table. <laughs> so does anyone else want to uh, to volunteer a failing or a lesson? 
Um, Andy, I'm, I'm, I'm just real curious, Andy. Um, so like when, when the child started to cry, what did you do? Did you make them roll again to see if they actually succeeded or did you, you stop the game? What was your, what was your reaction? I just, I don't really remember. I just okay. remember it being about the most awkward couple of minutes <laughs> of my, my entire life because yes. the parents were there at the table too. And so there was a lot of, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and you didn't, uh, if I, if I understand the timeline, you didn't have children yourself at that point, right? Not, not really gaming age mm. kids at that time. No. So. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that, that that's that's probably really important, uh, especially for for people that uh, I that don't interact with children frequently, either through their profession or being a parent themselves. I think that's that's a very common thing to not realize, to not put yourself in the place of the children to see how they would how they would experience that. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think Liz was going to say something. Yeah, I uh, I took bad notes when we were sharing backstories and forgot a pretty critical character and um <laughs> i i had thought i had everything from a student's backstory and they had put a lot of thought into all these really important people and i planned this whole adventure and at some point missed writing down a name that was a pretty big catalyst for someone's journey and and i think i apologized to the student and made sure they knew you know oh, i'm so sorry and you know, we can make this work and let me go back and think a little bit about the story. And I sort of fixed some of my own timeline things and some mm-hmm. of the trajectories. But I think in that moment, it was, I thought I'd gotten it all and, and I missed something and it happened to be a really important name in this, in this student's backstory for their character. And it did affect for a minute, kind of the, the energy of the session. But I think I was also worried because this was a new player who had mm-hmm. obviously really gotten excited about thinking about where their character came from and I just felt so bad for getting some other things that in retrospect were not important about their backstory but then missing something that was pretty important and it all resolved okay Um, but there were a couple sessions where it was like oh yeah okay we're getting over a little bit of this awkwardness of I want to like you know value this work you put in and I'm trying to kind of fix some stuff that I had planned (laughs) because I forgot you had this character that you told me you had. So (laughs) yes, yeah, Yeah, that was not my best moment as a DM. (laughs) So for sure. Super, super interesting. Thanks for sure. All right, Tim, our eyes are shifting over to you. Yeah. Yeah. My worst one, it wasn't, um, it wasn't like a, a, a specific moment, but, um, there were like a couple sessions very early on when I was uh, running the, the group for my neighborhood kids where I realized I was getting like really frustrated with these kids and they were having a great time though. Like they kept talking about, you know, telling their parents about what a great time they were having. And I kept getting more and more frustrated <laughs> and, and it just goes to that. Um, I, I was not setting my expectations correctly. Right. Because I was thinking about how I would engage with this game and not how the kids want to, right? Because I like to run a pretty serious, epic fantasy campaign type thing, you know, with like memorable NPCs and, you know, big bad villains and, uh, you know, heroic moments or whatever. And they want to slash things in a funny way. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> their way of enjoying themselves is is perfectly right and valid and appropriate for their age. But I was bringing a, a set of expectations that were, that were inconsistent with what, the game needed to be uh, for them to have a, like a maximally enjoyable time. So yeah, it wasn't like one specific incident, but it was like the first, it was like the second and third sessions I ran for that group. I was just getting more and more frustrated. And like after the third one, I was like, I think I'm just going to end this thing. 
Mm-hmm. And then my kids were like, no, it's so much fun. Yeah. You can't end it. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I just need to reset my expectations here. So have any of you had that problem or is it just me? Oh, yeah. I, uh, mm-hmm. I've had that a couple of times. And I think that's a pretty important part of running games with kids <clears throat> is managing expectations that way. Because I've had similar moments where it's like, there is no way anyone is having fun. And then... <laughs> everyone's having the best time, but they want to stay after <laughs> RPG club is over and talk about all the cool stuff. I'm like, we didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing happened. You know, so uh, yeah, I think managing expectations is really important for like remembering, like mm-hmm. they'll let you know if they're not having fun. I think that's the thing. If they're bored, they will tell you if they're not having fun, they will tell you. And uh, if they're laughing, then, then they're like, you know, having a good time, then mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I wonder, like, working with, like, when you're playing with adults, I feel like adults, you can expect them to modulate their expectations based on, like, what's actually happening, <laughs> happening at the table. I remember the the first time I tried to play any sort of, like, imagination game with my daughter, right? Like, I was like, hey, let's play D&D. Like, so, I, like, I think I even got out, like, all my stuff. I was like, I'm going to set up the screen. I'm going to give you dice. Like, I'm going to, like, do the whole thing. And she was just, like, so confused, like, what's... <laughs> what's going on right and we're trying to tell this like little story together and i'm like i'm set she started with the 4d6 method for her stats right of course she did right (laughs) just okay just your your listeners want to know so i'm just making sure we establish the important facts yes and there was a possibility their character would die during character creation right oh yeah of course yeah (laughs) okay yeah we went through the whole thing you know top to bottom (laughs) but yeah so but i mean i had this like expectation right like you know it's like tim kind of to your point of like oh we're gonna play for like an hour this is gonna be great you know and we're like three minutes in and she's already like wants to go do something else you know it's just like right? you know it's like it's not like she's not having fun it's just her her attention span is lower right so i think like yeah having like matching those i mean this is just anytime you're interacting with kids having that like adult to child expectations and kind of finding finding the middle ground is always super important, but I think especially with gaming, you know, cause like it does feel like it's a very tender thing too. Like you don't want to turn someone off from the hobby at a young age. Cause you, you sort of like ran it wrong for them at the, at the time. Um, right. And then they're like, whenever D and D comes up later on in their life, they're like, Oh yeah, I tried that with my dad once. I didn't like it. Right. It's like, Oh no, oh, geez. I just like, you know, I, I don't want to screw that up. <laughs> so based on my much more limited than you guys experience running games for kids, one of the things I kind of have come away from it with is, you know how in like some RPG rule books there will be a section of like these are the different kinds of gamers that you might get at your table. There's like the the people that are here to um, really engage with the rules and push the numbers around, and they'll memorize all the modifiers and the bonuses, and that's what's exciting to them. Then there's the people that are really into you know just role playing their character uh, in a really immersive way and th- different personality types and. I've been reading that section in role-playing game rule books all my life. It wasn't until I started playing more with kids that I felt like I really saw those very clearly different approaches that were uh, personality. I don't want to say personality types, but ways of engaging the game. And I'm wondering if particularly Tim and Liz, if you can talk about what are, what are sort of the different common ways that kids come to the table like what are what kind of experience are they looking to get out of the game uh, well i'll share i'll share a story a kid moved in down the street and and so i, I had wrapped up a couple campaigns and i was going to start a new one with my younger son and just some of his friends and a kid moved in down the street and i found out that he was a, like a week older than my kid and i was like oh we're just about to start this D group you know you're new to the neighborhood do you 
think your son might want to come play. Uh, and they said, oh, my God, he's obsessed with D&D. Yes, we would love for him to come play. And I was like, OK, cool. Just pick a character, come over, and we'll, we'll do this thing. And uh, the very first thing he said, OK, I need you all to look out because it takes me 10 minutes to don my gear for <laughs> the player's handbook. And I was oh, like, yes. oh, my gosh, you really you, you really like nailed that 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 stereotype a hundred percent oh wow like like you you nailed it perfectly so i i i've definitely had that experience that you're talking about how's how's the yeah how's the how's the uh the school group what 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 are the kids like there oh my gosh we have yeah we have some kids who have played D &D for years and know Mm -hmm. everything you could possibly know about 5e some know other versions of D&D as well. So they bring a lot of this knowledge in. Um, and then we have some kids, like I said, that really have never done anything except they recently learned about it, want to try it. And I think one of the models, I try to model for them how to talk to other players and how to interact with other players in moments that feel tricky. Like when you're thinking about whether or not a new player should be expected to know if you should be at disadvantage because you're trying to shoot something at mm-hmm. far range. That's sort of one of those things where if you're not really sure how to roll to attack, should you be held to the expectation that you know if you're at advantage, disadvantage, or regular yeah. when you're shooting with an arrow? And so I think one of the things I try to model for them is giving someone time to think through what they're going to do, but then also giving people opportunities to ask for help. I think a lot of us know a lot about a system and are really quick to give it ideas. And sometimes you just need a minute to think and look at your character sheet. And so I'll make sure in my group, uh, we have, we give each other time to make decisions and we give each other time to ask for help if we want it. Um, And then there are some students who have a lot of knowledge and I actually rely on them to help me make decisions about rules. So I might say, oh, you know, what does your spell say to a new player? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't have it on my sheet. And I'll look at another student and say, can you quick look it up and let us know? And then Mm -hmm. the action gets to keep going and the new player gets to feel really awesome and cool and do things. Then the experienced player is like, I have it. It's on page, you know, 125. Here's the spell. And then we can decide what to do. And so I think in that way, you give each player a thing that makes them really happy and excited. And then the advanced players, then I can really challenge them a little more and maybe be more particular about following rules as written. Like, you know, you know the rule about shooting at disadvantage when you're shooting super far. So, you know, we'll hold you to that. I I have a follow-up question. (laughs) So, uh, well, I think you said something that's like really, really important. And that was uh, especially about giving people time to think, right? Because uh, I've worked with a lot of kids. Kids are not always great at giving each other time um do you do you have any suggestions for uh, so for me i know i have to i have to sometimes do a little count in my head let me silently count to 20 before i do anything is because i i have a tendency to want to jump in and help but i i think that you you you're pointing out there's a lot of value in giving someone the space you know to come to their own conclusions um how do you how do you manage that when you've got you know four teenagers there uh, it depends, you know, when we're all new in a group, I think it's a little more like how uh, when I, I used to be a teacher, one of the things I do in my classroom initially was we would focus really hard on uh, procedures and processes and how things are supposed to be done the, the right way. And so a lot of times when I'm starting with a group, especially when that has a big range of players, we'll be really particular about talking through how we do things and talking through 
sharing the spotlight, what that looks like. And sharing the spotlight means if it's not your turn, you shouldn't be talking probably (laughs) unless someone has asked for your help or someone has engaged you. And for experienced players, that feels hard because you know you can have minor actions and side Mm -hmm. conversations and you can do things, but a new player needs a minute to figure out where their stats are in their sheet. And so by being really specific about talking through sharing the spotlight and taking turns, that means when you get to harder fights that are more challenging, people know it's not my turn. I need to wait until someone actually, you know, loops me into this. Hmm. And we try. We're not always perfect at it. And I think that's part of managing expectations too, is sometimes you just need to blurt out what you think should happen and that's okay. But there comes a point where you need to read the room and say, the player whose turn it is hasn't had a chance to talk. So then I'll just call out my group and be like, it's not your turn. Mm-hmm. If they haven't talked to you, you shouldn't really be talking. Do you find that they're pretty receptive to that too? I mean, I know it's like, is RPG club, is that, it's not like a, a class, right? Or is it an after school thing? Yeah, it's after school. Okay. I think that does affect it a little bit. You know, sometimes okay. you have a day, it's the last day before vacation and everyone's like super excited for RPG club and vacation. And then there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of talking over each other and yeah. it's a little bit chaotic and we all just kind of steer into that. And yeah. then there are other times where you do have a high stakes moment and you really like, you know, I'll give them a couple reminders about sharing the spotlight and reminders about it not being their turn. But honestly, at this point, they call each other out a lot too. Be like, Mm, it's not your turn. And so then I don't have to do that. I'd be like, I'm just here behind my DM screen, letting you guys, you know, run this club. It's fine. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked mostly about, uh, you know, running games for kids, but Tim and Liz, I'm curious, do you kind of, do you shepherd kids into being GMs themselves? How do you go about identifying kids that, uh, might be up for kind of the added challenge, I guess you might say, of GMing. How do how do you do how do you handle that if you do? Well, I think Liz, you have far more experience at that than I do. <laughs> um, there's never enough DMs, so if someone shows even the slightest hint <laughs> of being inclined to DM, uh, I will beg them to DM a group because <laughs> we always need more DMs. Um, I think a lot of it is we give students a chance when they sign up for RPG club to say that they want to DM. And if that's the case, then, you know, we email them separately and talk to them about they want to do about what they want to do and make sure that they have a group of kids whose skills and, and sometimes personalities fit well with theirs. Hmm. But yeah, we, then we uh, provide some resources for them as DMs to facilitate sort of session zero conversations and talk about sort of the framework we have for RPG club and, um, and then outside of that, um, I try to be super visible during the day. My office is kind of near the library. And so there are certain times of day where kids will hang out in the library and I try to just be visible so that if they have a question or if someone gets new dice or, you know, something came up in their session that they want to talk about, I'm visible for them to come find me and, and talk about it. So that, I guess that would be sort of the initial setup. I intersected with this RPG club for a limited time because my kid was at the school for a year. And uh, I was at a meeting where the kids who were running, planning to run games were kind of pitching, giving us the elevator pitch for their games. Oh, and, fun. Uh, there, <laughs> there was a kid there, bless his heart, who was running not just Shadowrun, but Shadowrun second edition. Like he had He's doing a, it right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was like, either, either you have a parent who, you know, has strong opinions about Shadowrun editions or something, or... Or you are a remarkable kid. Yeah. Uh, Apparently he is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah or maybe both. Uh, so. <laughs> Was it Tim in a high school get up? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wish I, I wish I could pass pass for. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I I have a question for you, Andy. Um, you've done something I'm I'm very jealous of, um, and that is you you've had a campaign running with your family. How did you make that happen? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and like, what's the secret? Yeah, I I wish I could tell you. I I will tell you that I am amazed at the enthusiasm for this game it's the game that the players are just my wife and my 15 year old and i get asked throughout the week and we're running it's call of cthulhu and i get asked throughout the week like, when are we by my kid when are we playing when are we playing when are we playing when i have to cancel or postpone it's like oh man you know well we got to play again soon i i don't i don't really know what the secret is uh, it hasn't it that has not always been the the attitude and yeah, I don't know. This is, isn't a very coherent answer, and it's not very fun for me to say I don't really know. But my <laughs> my my family knows that this is you know it, this is important to me, and it's gotten harder and harder as my teenager has gotten older to find ways to spend time with them. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, then they're at that very stereotypical yep. age right now where they are yep. in the room uh, every minute of free time. They're up in the room, you know, texting with friends or whatever. You know, I don't know what goes on up there, but. Um, <laughs> I feel like they feel the desire to be engaged with um, with their parents, um, and I don't think that they really have the necessarily have the vocabulary to to say that or to create opportunities themselves, um, or even maybe acknowledge to themselves that they want to hang out with us, their parents. <laughs> this is something that um, I'm really enthusiastic about, and so when I pitched, like, "Hey, can we carve out?" A couple of hours each weekend um, to do this. Yeah, I don't know. I think it connected with my teenagers' maybe unspoken desire to hang out with their very uncool parents. I'm just riding the wave while it's going mm-hmm. because I don't know, you know, at what point their enthusiasm may dim. It seemed like an opportunity to, to connect with my kid. I don't really care what we're running. I don't care what we're playing exactly. Um, but I, I had the great opportunity to play in two games with your child at the recent Roll for Topic uh, convention, right, yeah. last year. And uh, and one of those games I did not want to play in. I wanted to play in the game that you were running. But, <laughs> but my teenager was there and said, hey, Dad, do you want to play with me in this oh. one? Oh, wow. And I was like, you can't say no to that, right? You have to, you have to capitalize on that enthusiasm. And I think that, you know, not just to share a point, uh, share a story, but I think there's a, a solid point there. Like, teenagers are terrible at communicating what they think and feel. Sometimes, you know, to themselves, right, um, and and definitely to others. And I, I've learned this the hard way at summer camp, you know, because I've been doing that for so long. Is the teenagers they re- they really don't know how to communicate. So like when they give us those hints of like I want to spend time with you or I'm enthusiastic about this thing, I think we just have to like jump on it as hard as we can. And, yeah. you know, like, how can I amplify that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I think that's a really good point, Tim, yeah. Do you guys uh, find that like 5e and D&D is like a great, is like the best way to kind of get kids excited about these kinds of games? And then you branch into some of the other systems or do you feel like it just kind of depends on the kid you're working with or... Well, you ran, Andy, you ran Savage Worlds one shot at a, at something with teenagers, right? Yeah, that was actually for Liz's. Was that RPG the one you ran with us? Oh, yeah. Oh, that one was okay. awesome. Oh, so much. Yeah. yeah. How do you think? The Wild West one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How, yeah. How do you think running something like that as opposed to running fifth edition compares for new people? I can really only speak with confidence about what my, 
my kid and some of their friends that have gamed with us sometimes have reacted to. Mm-hmm. And it is, we have typically run fifth edition, but like a really slimmed down at the table version of it. I mean, I don't, I haven't written up my own homebrew version of it, but you know, I just ignore most, a large chunk of the rules. And I have found that at least the kids I run for, they are mostly interested in exciting things happening like that pivoting around kind of the role of the dice. And so the more we spend wrangling with stuff that isn't introducing something fun or interesting or exciting to the table, the more the momentum just starts to drag. So I have run 5e a lot when I have run for kids. I probably could be running something a lot simpler and save myself, you know, having to wrangle with it. But, you know, I'm probably overthinking this. When I play with kids, you know, I have in my mind, like, if this kid really likes it and they want to go home and they tell their parents, I really like D&D, I want to be easy for them to mm-hmm. claim the experience for their own that they enjoyed at my game table. And that means it's got to be easy for their mom and dad to go pick up the D&D starter box or something like that at Target. So I realize that's kind of overthinking it, but D&D's, um, I guess, market share, and it's easy to go and pick up the D&D rulebook. I would shy away from running something where like, yeah, you got to go online and then order like a print-on-demand copy <laughs> and yeah. send it Thank to a shady you. PayPal account somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. So am I answering your question at all or, or not really? Yeah, yeah I'd love I'd love to hear what, what Liz has to think because it sounds like that's the group that you ran. We mostly do Dungeons and Dragons 5e. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of the reason is that I think that's what most of the teenagers I've interacted with at least think of mm-hmm. when they think of tabletop RPGs. They think of uh, D&D, sometimes Pathfinder, sometimes um, Tales from the Loop. So we've, we've had some kids who knew some of these other systems, but most of the time when they sign up, it's because they want to play D&D. Mm-hmm. I think that in my heart, I've played enough other systems that were so much, uh, like you were saying, Andy, just like streamlined or a little easier to navigate. That sometimes when you go back to 5e, it's like, oh, there's a lot of things happening here. Mm-hmm. But that's what they're really excited about. And it's the thing that they have a lot of people they can talk to about. And so it gives the Kids in RPG Club a chance to connect with more people with this shared thing. And then we have this even bigger community of being excited about D&D together. And even if someone's not in RPG Club, they probably know what D&D is. So, Hmm. but I mean, I don't know many teens who have played like Monster of the Week, for example. So that's, you know, a whole other system then that, you know, is fun to learn and really effective and interesting to play, but um, maybe doesn't have the same appeal. When you say, when you, mentioned monster of the week i think of it and a number of other games that kind of ask you to come to the table with a particular genre or kind of a particular story experience in mind that you want to create is that something that would resonate with kids or do they kind of need to start with the D and then decide i want more of a narrative experience out of this so i'll move on to one of these more niche games or do you think that teenagers are more than capable of jumping into a monster of the week or something like that? Um, I'd be curious to know what you all say, but I, I think that kids would be really quick to pick up something like monster of the week. Cause if you really pare it down and I don't want to do it a disservice, but like, it's really, you have a bunch of heroes who are solving a mystery. And if you start there and then you know that a lot of kids come in with really interesting, complex backstories, they really want to dive into their character there are systems like Monster of the Week that really give you a chance to think about the 
narrative and talking through the action. I mean, we just the other day in RPG club had a situation where I was like, I don't really care what the rules say. You're trying to do something really cool. So <laughs> no rule book is going to prove anything that's happening, but everyone at the table is involved. Everyone is spending resources or helping or doing something. And that feels like what this is about. So who cares what the rules say? Um, and I think a system like monster of the week or something else might be a little easier to say, what do you want to do cinematically? And then, tell me how you do it. And then we kind of go from there. So, yeah. But I'd be curious to know what your experiences have all been because, uh, yeah, that's my little world of RPG Club. <laughs> so. I find one of my frustrations with, say, more traditional game systems, and this is with both adults and kids, but whether when you're a newcomer to the game, I sometimes have to fight this feeling that the rules exist as sort of a big wet blanket on whatever cool thing you're trying to mm-hmm. do. Because you know, in in D&D, if you want to do something cool and cinematic, well, it's it's probably technically harder to do that, right? If you want to, whatever, swing from the chandelier and drop down on top of the bad guy in a cool move, you know, you've probably just stacked up a whole bunch of negative modifiers on your roll if you're playing it like as written. I do sort of yearn for systems that lean into like, yeah, this is a genre where swinging from the chandelier is what we want you to try to do. So we're going to, we're going to make it easier. We're going to create like mechanical incentives to do that. I don't know. I find that's, that is the uh, speed bump I hit with like D and D type games. In my opinion, the best way to get new players into a game is one where they roll dice a lot and they don't matter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, when I was running um, the so for summer camp, when I was running that, it was it was basically a hack of Honey Heist, except the kids are trying to steal ice cream from the counselors. Um, and so they have one stat, right? And sometimes you have to roll under it, and sometimes you have to roll over it. And uh, But that's it. It's just one stat and one or two, or if you're really lucky, three dice. And we have them rolling it all the time for stuff that is really irrelevant all the mm-hmm. time. But kids like rolling dice. I mean, adults like rolling dice. Everybody loves rolling dice, (laughs) except D4s. Besides that, right? Because like when I am introducing someone to the hobby, all I want them to walk away from it with is, wow, that was fun. When can we do it again? Mm -hmm. And not, hey, how does math work again? Um, Like (laughs) anything that is separating the fun is uh, is is going to be a barrier for them to want to come back. So when I've introduced players to fifth edition for the first time, it usually takes multiple sessions. But when I was running that that these these one shots at camp, it's like, oh, you've never played a role playing game before. Thirty minutes in, you know exactly what to do, and you're having a blast. Okay, and and I I would actually argue that 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 is probably a better way. It also vastly depends on age. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because like kids is anywhere from, you know, like barely able to tell a story up to potentially 17 or I guess mm-hmm. further. I ran a, a session for one of my nibblings and they I think they were 15 or 16 at the time. <clears throat> and we it was D&D because they wanted to play D&D. It was like it was pretty important for them to to try that out. Um, and they were super excited for it. And so we I can't remember. I picked up one of the starter sets and we went through like we went through like 
page one to the to sort of the end of it for character creation stuff and it just like it just dragged on and on and on it was terrible and i was like i'm i'm losing them as we're going through this right like they're never going to want to play this ever again <laughs> um but like i just kind of kept powering through we finally got to the end of end of it and then we got into the actual adventure itself and it was like and then everything that like clicked and right they were rolling dice and like they were having fun and all this <laughs> you know the magic started to happen and i just like was kicking myself because like i wish i'd been like don't worry about the character sheet let's just play and then we'll kind of introduce the character sheet as we're, we're going along yeah, and I mean, I think they were they were old enough and mature enough to sort of understand that enough, right? And like, kind of like, yeah, understand that that was part of it. And character creation can be a really fun thing, and like, can almost be separate separate from the game itself, right? Um, but like, yeah, just that that friction of like, well, you, there's all these things you need to know, like you need to know all these rules and stuff. But like, really, when it gets down to it, like Tim, exactly to your point, like just start rolling some dice and sort of see what happens, get comfortable with with the actions and like the cadence that happens when you're playing a game. All right. So Chris, mm -hmm. now that you've got perfect hindsight and you've gotten yeah. all this great knowledge from Liz, Andy, and myself, mm -hmm. if you had to do it again, what would you do differently next time? For this session with my Dibbling? Yeah, because she, she still wants to play D&D, &D, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So how would you do it differently? Um, I, would, I would ask her ahead of time, I would say, what kind of character do you want to play? You know, kind of get that done. And I would show up with the character sheet filled in with everything other than uh, the name, <laughs> you know, like the name and some of the backstory things. And like, you know, like, here's two choices for spells, right? Like this, the, these are the things that you care about. Like, you don't know what any of these other numbers mean, right? Like you don't need to understand this math, right? Like, don't worry about it. Like, let's play. And then later on, you know, we could be an hour in if you're like, oh, now I want to make my own character. Then we can go back, go back and do that stuff. But I mean, like, again, like, I mean, I think we've all sort of mentioned it, like, you just sort of want to like, like, you want to hook them, <laughs> hook them to the hobby a little bit. And then you can kind of say like, and now there's this huge, vast field in front of you if you want to explore, there's all these different systems and stuff. But like, yeah, worry about that after you're, you're assured that this is going to be a fun thing. I have a question again, kind of for, uh, for Liz and Tim, obviously, both of you are running games with and for kids in different kind of educational environments, at least for some of the gaming you do. And I'm curious, like, to what extent do you think about things like life skill development um, as you approach the game? Or do you keep it like, hey, we're here to play a fun game and and we're not going to um, we're not going to talk about it, how educational it might be. Does, does that make sense? I have found a lot of value in using uh, using these games for um, emotional development of children. And uh, so teenagers go through these teenage years and they are legitimately horrible, right? I mean, we all survived them barely, maybe. <laughs> but uh, no, teenagers are so difficult, right? Their body's telling them one thing, their mind telling them another. They don't know how to communicate it. They don't really know. They don't always have the vocabulary for how they, you know, how they feel and what they think. And, and there's so much going on and it changes day to day to day. Like it's really, really hard for teenagers. And I had this one, this one player who was in this rebellious stage and just really wanted to be rebellious. And we talked about it and said, what if we ran an evil campaign, which it would not be my first choice <laughs> or second or third, but, <laughs> but that player really wanted to do it. And the others were okay with it. They didn't really care. And that player took every opportunity to like, backstab and and you know and to go against the grain of everyone else 
And the way this campaign ended was player versus player combat with the other players teaming up and killing this, this character. Yeah. And I let it happen. And the player got up in tears and stormed out of the room. And I followed him and we talked about it. And at the moment, it was a really, it, like, he felt betrayed by his friends, even though it's imaginary world, right? Mm-hmm. He felt his friends betrayed him. And as we talked about it, he realized that it was his own actions that brought that out. Like every, every step he took there led to that conclusion. And, and, you know, they were just reacting to him and in, mm-hmm. in a very reasonable way, especially for kids that age. And they were basically like, he has to stop. We have to stop him. He's going to ruin it. And it let him explore these things he wanted to do in life, but couldn't do in the real world in a safe space. And while, you know, he had a terrible night, he, you know, he cried himself to sleep was able to comfort him to some extent, but, but he, he had a growing experience out of it. Um, and I think that there's incredible value when you have a group of people who, uh, who you can trust to, to, you know, in the end, be interested in each other's welfare that you can be vulnerable with, that you can, uh, you can have these experiences, but you can do it in the safe world that like, in the end, it doesn't matter. Right. In mm-hmm. the end, it's just numbers on a piece of paper. Right. Mm-hmm. You can throw it away um, at the end of the day. And he he still does not talk about that campaign. <laughs> he talks about our other ones still, yeah. um, but he, he won't talk about that one. Um, but he got I think he got some life experience out of it. Yeah. I don't know how much like how intentional I ever am about teaching a skill necessarily, but I think because we're in a school, we have a framework sort of built into some of the rules of our school and some of the things that we talk about as an organization for with students about, um, you know, what a, a graduate might look like. Or in RPG Club, we give sort of a framework for talking about being a place that's um, a safe space for everybody and um, a space where we're all playing together, we're all telling a story together. And so I think one of the things that I would hope to see and that I do often get to see, which is really cool, is students who come into RPG Club feeling uncertain about whether or not it's okay that they're excited about a particular character or a particular story or a particular Mm. thing they want to try in the game, or they're nervous about being in charge of DMing a game. And over time, you get to see them realize like, this is a place where we all really just love playing this game together. And it's okay to be really excited about it. And it's okay to get really excited about dice. And then, you know, we can we can talk about these things and all share a joy of it. And I think as a result of sort of cultivating that community, that community together, we sort of start to see some students who maybe do start feeling confident to DM a game and do feel confident to come up with ideas and present them to a group and feel like, you know, if they, if the group doesn't like it, you know, that's kind of scary, but they're ready to try and they're ready to problem solve when things go wrong and they're learning tricks like calling a bathroom break when they don't know what to do and all these things, you know, as DMs we, we learn. Um, but I, I guess what I get to see sometimes is students who really feel known and appreciated and welcome. And I think as a result of that, sometimes we see students taking really good risks and sometimes it's risks as a character. And sometimes it's risks as a person, like trying a, a, a voice that they haven't tried before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't, 
necessarily set out to do it intentionally. And part of that is because of the time of day, you know, everyone's been in school all day and sometimes you come in and everyone's carrying all the things that happen during the day or, you know, you never really know what it's going to feel like. So, Hmm. um, but I, but I would hope that any kid came out of RPG club knowing that they were just really welcome there and that we all wanted them to be there and that we wanted to hear what they thought and wanted to hear what they felt. And we wanted to see creatively what, they were capable of. And some kids, I had one student in one of my groups who started illustrating the adventures we had. And the student was a really amazing artist. And, you know, every Friday I'd I'd come in and be like, man, I hope she stops by the help desk today because then I get to, you know, (laughs) see what she drew. And it was really cool. And so RPG Club became about, you know, being really excited about all the different things that we're excited about and all the different things that we can share, not just, not just the game itself. So Hmm. I, that answers your question. You, you, you reminded me. Um, I have a question for all of you. Uh, what What do you think is the best part about running games for kids that you don't get with adults? You yeah. made me think about this. Kids are so creative. Yeah. I remember um, I collected my my character sheets from Shadowrun when I ran it with Andy's <clears throat> child. And I got their character sheet. And there was this beautiful illustration on it mm-hmm. that they that they were just doing. And uh, and, and I was like, Oh my gosh, in this like one shot, you fully fleshed out and drew me your character who mm-hmm. looks awesome, by the way. Yeah. Um, my adults are not doing that. <laughs> I, re- I remember because I played in that game and I was like, you know, like, what are they doing over there? Like, I kind of was like looking, <laughs> looking over to see. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I couldn't tell you a single thing about my character, but I could probably describe theirs. Right. It's like, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, to your your question, Tim, you're like, absolutely. Yeah. Anytime I've run games for kids, I'm just like constantly just like blown out of the water. It's like, you're just taking such joy in this and like the creativity of it. Whereas I feel like a lot of adults that I run games for, they, they, they always like pull back right before they're about to have like the the breakthrough creative idea. It's just like, I mean, that's just part of it, right? Because you, you learn so much throughout your life that you can't sort of be that sort of person that you like, you really feel like inside, right? Like all the time, right? Cause for various reasons. So, but kids just don't have that filter as much and it's wonderful. That would be more or less how I would answer too. In my, in, again, my limited experience compared to um, you guys. But when I play with adults, there is a buffer between us and the fun time we all want to have. And it's just that buffer of being old and mature and, maybe not entirely able to justify, you know, the hours that we're spending on this game instead of doing something more responsible. And, you know, it's just kind of an intangible thing with adults that I don't get as much with my kids. Obviously kids can come to the table with their own kind of barriers between them and the good experience, but I feel like kids are just um, more able and willing to embrace the joy of just the activity that than adults are without and without as much self-consciousness although although teenagers are of course notoriously self-conscious so maybe i'm <laughs> controversial uh maybe i'm contradicting myself but yeah i don't see it as much as the at, when we're all playing at the table i don't i don't see that self-consciousness as much um hmm. i would say i i think i personally would strongly advocate for even if you're like a really uh, a player who's been playing for a really long time, I'd advocate for playing with new players periodically because one of the best things about playing with a new player is they don't know that they can't do a thing. Mm-hmm. So they might try to do the thing. And I think playing with kids, it's like you always have that. Even your most experienced teenage players, I've never had a teenage player who came in and was like, I absolutely can't do that. It was always like, <laughs> 
if you tell me I can't, I'm going to explain yeah. to you how I can. <laughs> my other my other friend is going to actually help me. And then yeah. this person's going to do this thing. And so I think there's just sort of this general atmosphere of that, uh, that willingness to take risks and creative mm-hmm. risks, but also that, you know, but why can't I do that thing? Mm-hmm. And then you get to really think, well, why can't you? And then you can kind of go from there. And it's a really fun journey to go on as a table. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, we need to we need to wrap up at this point. Yeah. We've been <laughs> going for a little bit. Uh, Andy, do you have any like final questions that you wanted to squeeze in? Yeah, I was going to say I know that we're kind of coming up our time, but so my last question, I love I have loved hearing the little anecdotes, uh, Tim and Liz, that have come out of some of your answers. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, would you guys be willing to share a story of a time that a kid just amazed you at the game table in some way? No. <laughs> <laughs> Tim's out of stories. Uh, <laughs> I didn't come prepared. <laughs> I have a, I don't know if this is an at the table story, but we, uh, my, this actually happened last week. My group uh, had a player who was missing um, and this particular player is playing a ghost um, and this player is not going to be able to play for a while. So we are like, we need to come up with a reason for why they're not here. And uh, one of my players said, well, maybe someone cast the someone undead spell. And we're like, of course, (laughs) maybe you don't know where that ghost is coming from. Maybe that ghost was in the middle of, you know, getting through a wizard's tower somewhere in a field and they just got pulled away because you cast a spell. So it's one of those things where you're like, okay, so it's one of those stories where, you know, I was sitting there thinking like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe someone like, you know, they had to go and and get vengeance for some wrong that was done to them or someone they love from when they were alive and they left to go do that. They were like, nope, cast someone undead. And I was like, yep. That's so sure. brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I've never thought about how much of a pain it would be to be undead and to get someone. <laughs> right? I, so now, I understand why they hate the living now. Yeah. So now you get to have this whole conversation with your group about like, oh my gosh, when he comes back, is he going to be mad? What are we going to do? <laughs> like, do we have to have a side quest to save them? So yeah. yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. It's great. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no I was going to come up with a really great story. Uh, I will share a fun story though. Uh, I, it goes back to like something we were talking about just, just a little bit ago where they like, why can't I? And I was like, guys, you can't take a short rest on a, on a set of long stairs. These, these stairs are 20 feet long. You can't take a long rest in the middle of them. So my entire group got up, went over to the stairs and showed me how they were going to lay down <laughs> and take a nap. I, I took a picture of it. I can show you guys later oh, of them proving to me that it's perfectly valid to take a, a long rest on the on a set of steep stairs. That's so. great. <laughs> you, you cannot possibly say no when confronted with that. Uh, I, I said, you guys are absolutely right. I was so wrong. <laughs> you enjoy your long rest. Nothing comes and gets you. You're oh, fine. <laughs> That's <amazing. laughs> I have a, one last question for Liz. All right. So you're, you're running an RPG club at school, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like it sounds like you'd recommend, <laughs> recommend that this was not a thing yeah. when I was in, when I was in high school, right? We didn't have RPG clubs. Is this like, is this a common thing? Do all high schools have this now? You know, I don't know. Um, okay. I, I think they're pretty common. I think okay. um, every school has their own, uh, dynamic their own list of clubs and mm-hmm. I think probably every school that has one does it differently but mm-hmm. I guess I would say I think it's a thing I think schools should have I mean mm. 
I just think it's really important that there's all these different places for students, whether it's middle school, high school, elementary school. I don't know what D&D looks like in an elementary school, but you know, I'm sure someone's <laughs> creative enough to figure that out. But um, I just think it's important for every student to have a place where they can go, where they see like you and the thing that you're excited about is a thing that other people are also excited about and we want you here and we want you to share yourself with us Mm -hmm. in really cool and authentic and creative ways. And so I would hope that it's a thing that lots of schools have. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't know if I had that space in high school at all. Like, and that would have been a very different experience, you know, to have that. came yeah. to D&D as an adult and I keep mm-hmm. thinking like what would my high school college you know 20s mm-hmm. have been like if I had been able to experience this sooner yeah that's fantastic well I'm so glad that you're you're doing that and making that space for those kids too that's just a, a wonderful thing yeah. hey I do have uh one resource I want to throw out before we hang up and if it's uh so if any of your listeners or all of your listeners want to learn more <laughs> about running games for kids there's uh, a really great community called TTRPG Kids. Um, it's run uh, by a person who's actually here in Michigan uh, by happy circumstance. And they've got a Discord server and they got like all the social media and the website and they do like a lot of reviews of indie games and, uh, mm-hmm. and other things. I think slightly more so geared towards younger kids, but um, but some, some older kids stuff in there too. Really great community there. It's definitely That's worth great. checking out. Yeah. Huh? Fantastic. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes too. So, all right. Well, hey, I think it's time to wrap up. This has been a really delightful conversation. Chris, you do a better job of the closing monologue than I do. So I'm going to pass the baton, the football. I'm going to pass the object to you. Oh, that was good. Take us home. Can you take a couple more stabs at other sports metaphors? Uh, (laughs) You pass pass soccer balls, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You don't pass volleyball. You don't pass volleyballs. (laughs) All right. I'm done. That's, that's, That's all I got. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll stop putting any in the hot seat. Um, yeah. Again, thank you so much, um, Tim and Liz. This was super great. Um, yeah. So Roll For Topic is part of the Roll For It Media Podcasting Network. Our sister show, The Splat Book with John Corey and Kyle Latino is wonderful. You can go check them out at thesplatbook.com. Um, I just finished listening to their episode about the uh, kind of like OSR adjacent conversation where they were talking about uh, sailors on the Starless Sea, I believe is the official name of the the funnel, um, the DCC funnel that John has run a number of times and now Kyle has run too. I played in it before. It's super great. It it was a fun episode. You should go check it out. It's like not quite a review of the, of the, the adventure. Um, but it it definitely kind of contains all their thoughts about like what makes it rule so hard. So (laughs) yeah, go take a listen to that. Um, but yeah, I think that does it for us. Um, I've been Chris Salsman. I've been Andy Rao. And remember if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. 